everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real Steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like my Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. America's two great pastimes collide on this podcast. It is baseball and making money from the dog days of summer through the October Classic. Greg Faces Peterson's going to be free swinging at the betting board as he tries to hit a grand slam for your bankroll. Now here is GP. One and all, Greg Peterson coming at you from the Zimmy the Gill Studios out here in Las Vegas. It is a great day. We've got Ian McMillan of Odd Shark joining me in the second segment. We're going to take a look at today's card. He's got something interesting that he's been betting on recently as well. A little bit of a new trend. We're going to get a little bit of intel on that in the final segment. I give you a side and total on every game on the Las Vegas betting board. And a little something I like to call touch them all. Whenever you guys have Twitter questions, you always feel free to tweet them in at unionairsquirty1. I'll always answer them for you guys if I haven't already answered it on the podcast. Today I did not get any, so feel free to fire any in if you have them for tomorrow's podcast. So with that, let's take a look back at yesterday's results and try to become better handicappers from it and try to find some trends. What happened yesterday? Let's go around the bases and find out. If you were on the Chicago White Sox in any capacity, either F5 or for the game, this was a tough one as the White Sox get out to a 5-0 lead. And by the end of the fifth inning, they're down by a count of 9-5 to five as Steven Strasburg got blown up early in this game. He winds up going five innings. He gives up five runs, including a home run. And then from there, the Nationals' bullpen seems to be getting better. 
I can't believe I'm saying it, but they go four innings and they don't give up a single run from there. And for the Chicago White Sox, Ronaldo Lopez is on the fade list. He goes four innings. He gives up six runs, all of which were earned, including two home runs. Josh Osich from there winds up giving up three runs out of the bullpen as it was just not a good day for the White Sox. As things look good early, Yoan Mancata hits a home run in the second inning for his 11th of the year for the Chicago White Sox. They were able to drive in four in the first inning, but Lopez, not a trustworthy guy in the Washington Nationals bats, seemed to have really come alive. Howie Kendrick, his 10th home run of the year. Anthony Rendon, his 11th, and Victor Robles, his 9th. So a very good showing from the Washington Nationals offense. There were a lot of teams that had good offensive showings on Tuesday, and another one of those was the Atlanta Braves. They got down early against the Pittsburgh Pirates, but then they were able to mount a late rally, scoring three runs in the seventh, <clears throat> scoring three runs in the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings to be able to win 12 to five. For the Pittsburgh Pirates, they actually got a decent start out of Stephen Brault in this one. He goes four innings, which you wish you would have given him a little bit more length, but he gives up two runs, one of which was earned. Lowers his ERA to a 5.45. From there, the early bullpen guys did decent. But then Kyle Crick gives up three runs, two of which were earned. Jeff Hartlieb also followed suit by giving up three runs. This time, all of those were earned. And also joining the three-run club, Rookie Davis. (laughs) Can you get much more of a bad relief outing for a guy that's very young than Rookie Davis? This is almost as bad as J.D. Hammer yesterday. I didn't realize that the Pirates had a guy by the name of Rookie Davis that gave up three runs. And for the Atlanta Braves, it was a good display of power late as Josh Donaldson, his eighth home run of the year. Freddie Freeman, he goes deep for his 15th home run of the year. He took the rookie deep. And it was Austin Riley who continues to be a sensational rookie without that being his name. He goes deep for his ninth home run of the year. Max Freed. His worst start of the year. He goes four innings, gives up five runs, all of which were earned. But I've been noticing it with the Atlanta Braves, and I'll keep saying it. Bullpen much improved. They go five innings. They give up a grand total of one hit. Just one hit. And for the Pittsburgh Pirates, their display of power in this one was Melky Cabrera going deep for his fourth home run of the year. That was in the first inning. So Pirates got off to a good start. They wind up losing, and they continue to play overs. The Blue Jays continue to play unders, but they were able to get the job done in this one, winning by a count of four to three. For the New York Yankees, they did get an encouraging sign with Aaron Hicks going deep for his second home run of the year. And Clint Frazier, after he had that very bad showing in the field on Sunday, hit his 11th home run of the year. But Masahiro Tanaka got to knock it around. Six innings pitch, he gives up four runs, all of which were earned. And the bullpen from there was able to bridge it, but the damage had already been done as the Toronto Blue Jays got a decent start from Clayton Richard. Didn't give him too much length, four and two-thirds innings. He gives up two runs, including a home run, but... From there, the bullpen wound up doing their job. Four and a third innings, other than Joe Biagini giving up a solo shot, they didn't allow a single thing. And for the Toronto Blue Jays, Freddie Galvis was able to go deep for his ninth home run of the year, and Randall Gritchick his 10th. Much needed for this Toronto Blue Jays team as they're hitting right around 220 as a collective. And Ken Giles has actually been a good closer for this team. Now he's a 1-1-3 ERA, so got to give him a little just do there. Got to give the Indians their just do as they were able to get a 5-2 win over the Minnesota Twins on Tuesday. For the Twins, Marwin Gonzalez and Eddie Rosario were the only two forms of offense in this one. They had solo shots. Gonzalez, his seventh home run of the year, and Rosario, his 18th, as the team had just five hits in this one. Devin Smeltzer, after having a good first start against the Milwaukee Brewers, looked a little bit more like a rookie pitcher. He goes six and a third innings, giving up five runs, four of which were due to the home run, as the Cleveland Indians 
finally found their power, including Francisco Lindor, his ninth and 10th home runs of the year, Roberto Perez, his eighth home run of the year, and Jake Bowers winds up going deep for his sixth home run of the year, and Shane Bieber fever certainly had the fever of throwing strikes in this one. He winds up going seven innings, giving up two runs. Those two solo shots were the only thing that he gave up in them from there. Alvar Perez and Brad Hand don't even allow a hit. They were just nails for an Indians bullpen that has been great all year long. The San Francisco Giants bats have not been great all year long, but in extra innings, they put up a six spot on the New York Mets as they win by a count of nine to three. This game was tied three to three at the end of regulation, I guess you could say. And then in the 10th inning, the Giants explode for six runs, none of which were due to home runs. They were just playing a whole lot of small ball in this one as for the Giants, Madison Bumgarner, a decent start. He's not what he once was, but he's still a pretty quality pitcher. Six innings pitch, he gives up three runs, all of which were earned, including two home runs with them from there. The bullpen of the Giants got the job done in four innings. They don't give up a single run. The Giants, by the way, still have a top six bullpen with regards to ERA. The Mets certainly do not, as Noah Syndergaard, once again, not necessarily his best start, but certainly not terrible. Six and two-thirds innings, gives up three runs, all of which were earned. But then Robbie Gazelman raises his ERA to a 5.05, giving up five runs while recording one out. And then Hector Santiago gives up another run himself to put his ERA to a 7.20. As for the Mets, Wilson Ramos sits his seventh home run of the year, and Pete Alonso continues to be a masher. He has his 20th home run of the year, but all in all, a good sign for the San Francisco Giants, who have now won three of their last four. The Detroit Tigers seem to all of a sudden be winning a couple games as the Tigers get a 9-6 win over the Tampa Bay Rays. The big shot in this one was Miguel Cabrera finally getting his third home run of the year, and it was in grand fashion in the fifth inning as he had a grand slam off of Blake Snell, who has been very up and down. He's now 3-5, and five, and he's got two losses to the Royals, and now he lost to the Detroit Tigers. He has his ERA at a 3.68, and he only lasts four and a third innings, giving up six runs, all of which were earned. Hunter Wood from there winds up giving up three runs, two of which were earned. And for the Tampa Bay Rays, their offense was certainly online in this one as well. Willie Adamas, his fifth home run of the year, and Avicio Garcia, his 11th. As for the Detroit Tigers getting the win, his first of the year, Ryan Carpenter. He winds up only giving up two runs in seven innings, by far his best start. He now is a 6.23 ERA. Don't know if I can get behind him yet at this point, but it certainly was an improvement. Though the Detroit Tigers bullpen, they still need some improvement as well as Joe Jimenez and... Buck Farmer wind up giving up a combined four runs in the eighth inning. So obviously, that's still a little bit of an issue. The Brewers had all sorts of issues on Tuesday. They lose to the Miami Marlins 16 to nothing. A Marlins team that has now won 12 out of their last 17 games. Not sure how, not sure why, but this Marlins team was hitting the tar out of the ball. You had Sterling Castro Gallard for his fourth home run of the year. Garrett Cooper his fifth. Brett Anderson, his sixth dinger of the year, and Pablo Lopez advances his record to four and five. He goes six innings, giving up three hits, no earned runs. And then from there, the Miami Marlins bullpen, who had three guys enter into this game, two of which had an ERA of a 4-9 or greater, did not give up a single run. And for the Milwaukee Brewers, this was just an awful start for Chase Anderson. He goes four innings, gives up four runs, all of which were earned. But if you think that's awful, at least he didn't give up eight runs while giving while getting only one out. That is exactly what Taylor Williams did, who was just recalled from AAA San Antonio a couple days ago. Needless to say, he's probably going to be going back pretty soon. And then Corbin Burns has his ERA now at a 979 as he gives up three runs, one of which was earned while recording two outs. Just not a good day for the Milwaukee Brewers all the way around. 
Meanwhile, it was a good day for the Boston Red Sox as they go into Kansas City and they pound the Royals by a count of 8-3. In this one, Eduardo Rodriguez, 5 and 2 thirds innings, gives up two runs, both of which were earned. This is a guy with one of the biggest discrepancies between his fielding independent and his ERA. His ERA now 488, but he's actually been pretty solid. He did give up a home run in this one, and Ryan Brazier gave up a run himself out of the bullpen, but all in all, Boston Red Sox pitching and bullpen look very good. And you have to give it to Kessler Cuthbert. He winds up hitting that home run off of Rodriguez, his second home run of the year. And Glenn Sparkman, surprisingly a good start here for the Kansas City Royals. Goes five to third innings, giving up only one run. His ERA now at 377. Sneaky good pitcher there, but how about the bullpen of the Kansas City Royals? In one inning of relief, Jake Diekman winds up giving up three runs. Kevin McCarthy gives up two runs in an inning, and Sean Barlow records two outs and gives up two runs. Also of note, Adelberto Mondesi, he has many more stolen bases than I thought he did. 22 stolen bases, that right now leads the league, so a little bit of a hats off to him there. The Baltimore Orioles, gotta have your hats off to them on the way that they played early, not so much late, as they hang on for dear life by a count of 12 to 11. They were up in this game, going into the bottom of the ninth inning, by count of 12 to 5 and very nearly blow it, as I do think that we need Drew Smiley Day. As for the Texas Rangers, he didn't give them a good start. He winds up going three and a third innings, giving up seven runs, all of which were earned. That includes the Baltimore Orioles getting four in the first inning, and he gave up three home runs in the process. Shelby Miller gives up two runs in relief. They also had Martin give up a run out of the bullpen, and then David Carpenter gives up two runs while recording two outs. So, Obviously a debacle there, and what was a debacle was the fact that the Texas Rangers were doing all that in the ninth inning without really hitting home runs. Sinchu Chu, the lone deep ball for the Texas Rangers, his 11th, and then for the Baltimore Orioles, they were just unloading on the Texas Rangers, including Pedro Severino getting not one, not two, but three home runs. His 6th, 7th, and 8th of the year, Keon Broxton is 3rd of the year, and Dwight Smith Jr. went deep for his 11th. Dylan Bunny continues to look okay. Not necessarily great, but not necessarily awful. He goes five innings. He gives up three runs, all of which were earned. But then the bullpen of the Orioles gives up a combined six runs in three innings. These are guys that you can't necessarily trust in, especially not one Richard Blyer, who now has a 9.22 ERA. But I guess they got the job done. And that's all you want if you were backing the Baltimore Orioles. The Chicago Cubs certainly got the job done as they get a 6-3 win over the Colorado Rockies. Jeff Hoffman, just a guy that you cannot be trusting in right now as a starter. Six innings pitch, he gives up five runs, all of which were earned, including two home runs. Going deep for the Chicago Cubs was Javi Baez for his 15th home run of the year, and Kyle Schwarber, his 11th. Speaking of Kyles, Kyle Hendricks winds up going seven innings, giving up three runs, and had 10 strikeouts in this one. He wound up giving up a home run, but all in all, a very good showing for him. As for the Colorado Rockies, getting that home run was Daniel Murphy, who seems to be doing a much better job with the bat. That is now his fourth home run of the year. And then the bullpen of the Colorado Rockies winds up giving up one run in two innings, so nothing great nothing awful there. The Reds had a very good display of pitching against the St. Louis Cardinals getting a 4-1 win there. Luis Castillo had been getting dinged up a little bit in his last couple starts, but in this one, he goes six innings, giving up just one run. That one run was a solo home run, and supplying the lone run of the game for the St. Louis Cardinals was Matt Carpenter, his ninth home run of the year. He's been having a struggle all year long, so that's big for him. And Genesis Cabrera, just a guy that you can't be betting in. I have no idea why Seaman's coming in on the St. Louis Cardinals as he now has a 648 ERA. He goes four and two-thirds innings. He gives up four runs, three of which were earned. And then from there, the bullpen, which now includes Michael Waka, goes four and a third innings, and they don't give up a single run. So 
Obviously not looking very good there. As for the Cincinnati Reds, being able to slide that power, Yasiel Puig, his 11th home run of the year, certainly has been a struggle for him at the plate, but the Reds are all of a sudden becoming a little bit more of an over team. The LA Dodgers are just becoming a team that wins in general. They take down the Arizona Diamondbacks by kind of 9 0. Got to be just continuing to bet Hunjin Ryu in some form or capacity, money line, run line, whatever it is, because he goes seven innings, allows three hits, no earned runs. From there, the bullpen is able to do their job. And for the LA Dodgers, you had Kike Hernandez going deep for his 10th homer of the year. He's been struggling a little bit, so that's big. And Taylor Clark. Winds up having a decent start in this one. He goes five innings. He gives up three runs, but just two of which were earned. But that bullpen of the Arizona Diamondbacks looked really shaky in this one. TJ McFarland and Archie Bradley give up a combined six earned runs in four innings of relief. These are two guys that now have their ERA above five. So that is not what you want to be trusting in late in games. The Oakland A's seem to be doing better with their bullpen no longer having Fernando Oh, no, Rodney. And they also seem to have a very good starter in Frankie Montas as they get a 4-2 win over the LA Angels. Montas, once again, able to get the job done. He goes six innings. He gives up two runs. He gives up his first home run since essentially tax day. He went a month and a half without giving up a home run, and that was by Shoei Otani in the sixth inning, his fourth home run of the year. But all in all, Frankie Montas looked very good in this one. And then from there, the Oakland A's were able to get some relief from Yasmero Petit, Liam Hendricks, and Blake trying to be able to close out this game. And for the Oakland A's, they were able to get a home run of their own. Ramon Loreno goes deep for his eighth home run of the year off of Griffin Canning, who wound up getting up a little bit roughed up in the start. He goes six innings, he gives up four runs, all of which were earned, including that home run. From there, the Angels whose bullpen started out the year good, has been awful recently, goes three innings, and they gave up just one hit, no earned runs. So obviously, a little bit of a good sign there. A tremendous sign for the Philadelphia Phillies as they are able to take down the San Diego Padres by a count of 96. In this one, the Philadelphia Phillies were able to get some big contributions early from a man they just acquired in Jay Bruce. Bruce had a double-digit amount of home runs for the Seattle Mariners before being sent to Philly. He hits his first two as a Philly in this one in the fourth and fifth innings. Those were off of Chris Paddock and Brad Wiak. Meanwhile, Mikel Franco, who's been having a struggle of it lately, hits his ninth home run of the year. And Sean Kingery, his fourth, as Chris Paddock seems to have been figured out. Four and a third innings, gives up six runs, five of which were in, including two home runs. He has seen his ERA jump by a full point over the course of his last two starts. Brad Wiak winds up giving up two runs out of the bullpen and Luis Perdomo one more as the bullpen of the Padres wound up being taxed in this one. Good news for the Padres is that they continue their display of power. Femio Reyes is 18th and 19th home runs of the year and Eric Cosmer is 10th. As for the Philadelphia Phillies, Jared Eikhoff was able to get the win in this one. He goes six innings, he gives up three runs. But you have to be a little bit concerned about some of the arms in the bullpen for the Philadelphia Phillies as Edgar Garcia now has a 790 ERA as he wound up giving up three runs without recording a single out in this one. And another bullpen that... You really got to be concerned about is the Seattle Mariners as for one, it's being taxed badly and two, it's not good to start out with as the Seattle Mariners wind up losing to the Houston Astros by a count of 11 to 5. They were able to get a home run out of Mitch Haniger, his 15th of the year, but that was really the only bright spot for the Seattle Mariners as they had to wind up giving a start to Andrew Moore wound up having to get called up for the minor leagues to make this start. He winds up going four and two-thirds innings. He gives up four runs, including two home runs, being able to supply some power for the Houston Astros. Robinson Torinos, his ninth home run of the year, and Tony Kemp, who has been struggling this year, his third. And then from there, he didn't even take the loss because Brandon Brennan winds up coming into the game. He gives up three runs in an inning, and then Jesse Biddle, who they acquired from Atlanta, gives up 
four runs in an inning. Biddle's ERA now a 6-1-9. It just has not been going well for the Seattle Mariners. As for the Houston Astros, Wade Miley was having a party out there, but it wasn't enough of a party to be able to get a win. In five innings, he gives up three runs, all of which were now is a 3-3-9 ERA. It's a guy that you can continue to trust because he's backed by the Houston Astros bullpen, which has the lowest ERA out there in the big leagues. They wind up giving up two runs in four innings in this one as Josh James gave up both of those runs, but all in all, the Astros just continue to get the job done. So the takeaways from Tuesday... You can't be betting on Ronaldo Lopez. The Washington Nationals seem to have their bats going. The Pittsburgh Pirates continue to play overs, and they continue to have horrible bullpen pitching. The Blue Jays continue to play lower-scoring games. The Indians' bullpen continues to be terrific. The New York Mets' bullpen continues to sink. Blake Snell looks like a guy that you can't trust in. The Marlins are staying hot. The Boston Red Sox are still being able to play overs themselves. You can't trust in the Baltimore Orioles' bullpen. Kyle Hendricks continues to give good starts. Luis Castillo continues to find his good stuff. Hunjin Ryu is right now looking like the best pitcher in all of baseball. Frankie Montas continues to roll along with that A's bullpen. The San Diego Padres are continuing to have their offense going. And for the Seattle Mariners, their bullpen is just a wreck. So that was Tuesday. Now let's turn the page forward and let's take a look at Wednesday. Helping me do so, Ian McMillan of Odd Shark. And that is up next right here on MLB Overtime Bet. Greg is going to the bullpen as he makes a call to the Azunia Hotline. And welcome back to the Azunia Deal Studios out here for MLB Overtime Betting. It is a great pleasure to be joined by our next guest. He is one of the men that is doing a terrific job at Odd Shark. And you know here on MLB Overtime Betting, we like these guys at Odd Shark. They provide such good information. This is a gentleman that does a little bit of golf. He does a little bit of MLB. He just does so much for them in regards to a social media standpoint as well. It is Ian McMillan joining me, and Ian is spelled I-A-I-N, so you do want to note that, and he is on Twitter at IanMacOS, that is I-A-I-N-M-A-C-O-S, all one word, and Ian, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Greg. How are you? I am doing terrific. Thank you so much for joining me, and Another team that is doing terrific is the Houston Astros. This team has been on just such a roll all year long. On Monday, they wind up covering the run line once again, playing against the Seattle Mariners. We're seeing on Wednesday, it's going to be Brad Peacock going up against Mike Leak, and obviously, Astros coming in a favorite of this one. I'm seeing them right around the minus 145-ish range. What have you made out of the Astros so far this year? Because obviously, they're dealing with injuries to guys like George Springer, Jose Altuve and company, but yet they just continue to get the job done. Yeah, exactly. They just continue to get the job done. Really in the American League, it's really the Astros have kind of separated themselves from the pack. And then over in the National League, it's the Dodgers. So you can't really bet against the Astros right now, especially it's against the Mariners. One thing about the Astros, it makes me a little bit worried. Brad Peacock, I believe, gets a start for them. I'm not 100% sold on Brad Peacock as a starter just quite yet. I know he's come out of the bullpen. He's been fantastic out of the bullpen the past few seasons. They tried him out as a starter. I think two years ago was it maybe it was last year it didn't work out well he's done well as a starter this season but i want to see a few more starts before i really start pounding the money when he takes the mound but i mean the mariners absolutely stink so you can't bet on them tomorrow either but uh yeah i want to see a few more starts absolutely and we all know that mike leak well he's had a leak when it comes to giving up the home runs but a gentleman that is going to be pitching that has not had such a leak and that would be kenta maeda 
He and the LA Dodgers have just been rolling recently. You're seeing the Dodgers as right around a minus 155 to minus 160 favorite as we do this podcast right now against the Arizona Diamondbacks. I actually really like what I've seen out of Kenta Maeda recently. He's been really limiting the walks. He's had a bunch of very effective starts. And the Dodgers in general have just been covering so many games. And I'm seeing a total on this game of 10. Obviously shaded to the under, but this just seems way too high, especially with the way that Maeda's pitching. Yeah, absolutely. Now, yeah, absolutely. Now, there is one thing about the Dodgers that I have kind of I kind of found here recently is that their bullpen on the road has been absolutely brutal, actually, in the month of May since May. First, they're 28th in bullpen ERA on the road at like 6.35 right now. So that might be the reason for a little bit of a higher total. But you're right, Mayet has just been unbelievable recently. Over his last four starts, teams are only batting 145 against him. So you can't bet against him. But in this situation, you might want to look at like a first five inning bet if you're going to go with the Dodgers, even like a first five run line situation, just because I, I don't trust that the Dodgers bullpen the way that they've been playing on the road recently. I do not either, as Ian McMillan is joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. But one thing that I do trust is the bets of the Milwaukee Brewers. But man, being a Milwaukee Brewers fan, I don't know how you lay minus 215 with this team on Wednesday. They've got Jimmy Nelson coming back from having not pitched for essentially a year and a half against Sandy Alcantara. Sandy Alcantara, obviously not the greatest starter out there in the league, but he's actually been pretty effective. I remember in his last start against the Giants, he was a little bit of a tough luck guy. He gave up like either zero, maybe one run. He's actually looked pretty good in his most recent couple starts. And with Jimmy Nelson, when he was pitching for the Brewers a few years ago, he was effective. But I just don't see how you lay $2 with a guy that hasn't made a start in about a year and a half, if not more. No, yeah, exactly. You you nailed it on the head. I mean, that's a crazy line for someone who hasn't played in that long. I mean, the Marlins, the Marlins obviously stink. Third last in OPS first right-handed pitchers uh, since May 1st. But this is the kind of situation where you just might just want to take the value pick and, and pick the Marlins because exactly like you said, my, I got minus 218 at the, at the book I was looking at for the Brewers. That's an insane line for them tomorrow. So I think this is kind of a value bet. You kind of have to bet on the Marlins at that line. I've got my parents in town. They come from Wisconsin. They fly into Vegas. I'm going to tell them, if you guys lay minus $2 or more with the Milwaukee Brewers, I don't know what to tell you. This is just, this is a bet you cannot make. But a bet that I actually can see myself making is fading Chris Sale. Chris Sale, I know that you guys always do your most and least profitable pitchers out there in the big leagues on your website. Chris Sale, towards the top of the list in regards to least profitable. He's going up against Kansas City Royals. That is going to be taking place on Wednesday. And with Chris Sale, he's once again a minus 215 favorite. Now, I don't know if you're going to advocate taking Jacob Junis here. He's got an ERA above five for the Kansas City Royals. But I think we can both agree that at this point, laying $2 with Chris Sale is a no-go. Yeah, no, absolutely not. But you can kind of bet on the Red Sox in a sense. What I've been doing recently in these kind of situations where I see starting pitchers that are just way overvalued, I look at more of a team total kind of bet. So that's where I would be looking in this situation because I can't back sale, but I can back the Red Sox bats right now. They're third in OPS versus right-handed pitchers since May 1st. Uh, so their bats have been on fire past month or so and Junis has a 5.35 ERA so like you said he, he's not great so I'm gonna go ahead and fade Junis on this one I'm not gonna put any money behind sale but I will put money behind the Red Sox bats for sure I like that approach as Ian McMillan is joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting does terrific workouts there for Odd Shark and what are a couple things that have also been profitable for you out there in the big leagues because I know that you just mentioned taking team totals instead of looking to back pitchers that haven't necessarily been so trustworthy what are a couple other things that have really been working for you that maybe are a little bit more off the beaten path 
Yeah, something that we're starting to look at at, at Odd Shark. I know me and Scott Hastings have been looking at it specifically. I don't know if he brought it up last time he was on or not, but actually live betting the MLB. I've been kind of live betting more and more recently across all sports, especially in the NBA playoffs. It's been great for me, but we're also kind of looking at it at MLB. We're experimenting a little bit with teams who the first team to get runners on base in scoring position, but don't cash in any runs. We're looking at fading those teams live. Now, we've just kind of been looking at it the past couple of weeks, so we don't have a large sample size. We're still kind of experimenting with it. We haven't really put a whole lot of our own money on it. We're putting a couple bucks on it just to see how it works out. But that is something that we're kind of looking at right now is live betting specifically against teams who get runners in scoring position early in the game, but don't cash those runs. Oh my gosh. I absolutely love it because how often do you find it when a team gets bases loaded, zero one outs, they don't <laughs> score, and then wouldn't you know it, the next half inning, that other team, they put up like a five spot. Yeah. It seems like it's the law of the MLB. If exactly. you don't score with the bases loaded, the other team will automatically put up a crooked number. I yeah. just, I don't know how, I don't know why it always happens. And that's kind of why we started looking at it, to be honest, because a, a lot of the time, even in the afternoon games, we all sit next to each other in the Odd Shark office. We had a couple of TV screens up. So we watched that happen on, on an almost daily basis. Well, our team will get runners in scoring position and then don't cash in it. It seems like when that's happening, that they just never go on to win. They can't get runs in the next few innings. So, yeah, exactly. That's why we started diving into the numbers for it. And the kind of early sample size that we're seeing is that it actually is profitable to do that, to fade those teams that don't cash those early runs. Every stinking time. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how. Yeah, it's why. I don't it's know wild. why, as I said, but it just seems to always happen. And something that I'm noticing always seems to happen is the Tampa Bay Rays just seem to always win their game by two plus runs. I always try to take a look at trends that are profitable and things like that in baseball. And one thing that I've noticed is that the Rays run line has been terrific. Of their 35 wins as we're doing this podcast, 31 of them have been by two plus runs. Wow. Have you ever seen something quite like this where a team is just so profitable on the run line? Because the Rays as a team have been somewhat profitable, but if you're taking the run line in all these games, you're not just mitigating juice when you lose, but you're getting a lot of plus prices when they win as well. Yeah, a ton of prices. Yeah, I didn't know that, to be honest, when you just brought that up. I haven't really looked at run lines too much recently, but yeah, that's an unbelievable number that you just said there. And I've, I've kind of been watching you on Twitter go back and forth with with some guys who just ask you why you're kind of taking run lines so much. But with those kind of numbers, you have to, especially because in some cases, you seem to get a lot more value on those run line numbers, like almost like a whole dollar unit difference between money line and the run line. So why not take advantage? Exactly. As we are here with Ian McMillan right here on MLB Overtime Betting. And it is one of those things where I do feel like money line and run line, the difference in the price is big because we are noticing that teams that are favored and are playing and their run line numbers are right around probably I would say 42 to 43 percent with regards to covering. So that means that when you're getting like even money instead of minus 140 maybe it's not worth it but still remember that Padres versus Marlins game on Saturday the Padres were laying about minus 160 and the run line price I wound up getting was plus 140 which is a full unit difference I think that this is one of those cases where math becomes very big in regards to your handicapping because obviously the unit difference is big whereas if you're only getting a 40 cent difference maybe it's worth just taking the money line and trying to be safe 
Yeah, and one, and I mean, this is a big point as well for anyone who's new to betting is that so many people get caught up in their records, but really want to look at how much you're winning in units because taking those run lines, you're going to lose more than you would lose betting money lines. But I bet you that unit difference at the end of the day makes all the difference in the world. So for young, early bettors, don't get caught up in your record. Make sure that you're tracking your units. That's way more important. Absolutely. When you're doing spread betting, like on the NFL, college basketball, everything like that, you're betting everything minus 110. Obviously, you want to take a look at your record because that's going to be indicative of how many units you've won or lost. But in a money line sport like the NHL, like the MLB, you want to be looking at units and you want to be looking at units only. I do think that that is such good food for thought for anyone that's listening right now. And Ian, are you noticing anything else on the Wednesday card that's really standing out to you? We've got some guys I would say are some very untrustworthy starters going. I'm just one of those people. I cannot get behind backing Dakota Hudson. Carlos Carrasco is a guy that I'm a little bit jaded on because he gives out so many home runs. And then just the whole Washington Nationals bullpen in general has been a wreck. Yeah, there's two main things that kind of stick out here. The first thing I want to bring up to you, what's going on with odds makers? And they keep setting twins at these kind of lines. Um, I'm seeing them plus 128. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, the number I got plus 127 tomorrow against Carrasco and the Indians. That's a gift. I mean, the whole odd shark office, we have have a daily show, Guys and Bets, where we we make picks and break them down. And I mean, almost every day we're taking the twins in, in one fashion or another, either twins money line, twins run line. Sometimes we don't like the pitching matchup we'll just take twins team total over it's insane they've been making us a fortune and odds makers just keep setting them at these kinds of lines so i see the team with the best record in the majors at plus 125 against a Carras- carlos carrasco that's not playing well this year like i'll take that all day that's amazing do you, do you have any idea like why they're setting the twins at these kind of lines i think that it's just the fact that coming into the year, the Twins were expected to be about a 500-ish team. I just feel like the bookmakers think, oh, there's going to be regression. Yeah. There's going to be a regression. And yet there hasn't been regression. And I think that the Indians are still a little bit overrated as well. Because with the Indians, I think we can both agree, their pitching's actually been pretty good. Carlos Carrasco, he certainly has given up his home runs. But all in all, he hasn't been bad. The bullpen is right out there in the top five. But you take a look at the lineup right now for the Cleveland Indians. I was seeing this over the weekend. The top three hitters are actually pretty good. you got Francisco Lindor. You've got Orlando Mercado. And then Carlos Santana has been doing something for them. Everyone below the top three, though, all had a batting average below 220. How do you lay numbers with a lineup in which the bottom six guys are all hitting below 220? Yeah, exactly. They haven't been able to hit the ball all year, really, as a team as a whole. And I believe it's Perez pitching for the Twins. He's a lefty, and Indians are 23rd in OPS first lefties since May the 1st. So they started off slow. They've gotten slightly better offensively, but still nowhere near worthy of that price against the Twins. Absolutely. I agree with you. And Ian, something else I'm sure that we can both agree is that Odd Shark is doing tremendous work. And I would like to close it up with this. Where can the good people out there find you on social media and elsewhere? Since I know that you're covering a little bit of baseball, you're really big into golf as well. I know that anyone that loves golf should certainly be following you. I know you do a lot on social media for them as well. Just tell people how they can get a little bit more Ian in their life. Hey, yeah, exactly. Like you said uh, at the start there, Ian, two I's, I-A-I-N, Mac OS on Twitter. Um, I do a Monday video as well, just a quick one minute video. I just break down my best pick, uh, change it to underdogs recently. So I've done well with those. So every Monday, I give up my best underdog pick for that day. So go ahead and follow me on Twitter. You'll see those. And 
Of course, like you said, golf is, is my big one. That's been a huge moneymaker for me this summer. I keep looking into that. And uh, US Open, big major next weekend. So I'll have a big video preview coming out for the US Open next weekend. So I-A-I-N-M-A-C-O-S on Twitter. Terrific. A big thanks to Ian McMillan for joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. And coming up next, it is that time that I give you a side and total on every game on the Las Vegas betting board in a little something I like to call a Jamal. Hey, I'm Steve Heitner, the guy who uttered the famous phrase, that's gold. And that's the inspiration of my new podcast, That's Gold with Steve Heitner. We talk sports, sports betting, movies, comedy, food, drink, Vegas, music, movies, and more. Five days a week. Did I say movies twice? Look, guys love it, whether they're hip or worried about breaking a hip. Find us on Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify and Stitcher. That's Gold with me, Steve Heitner. Welcome back to MLB Overtime. Greg is throwing a gem, so yeah, he better not blow it. And a big thanks to Ian McMillan of Odd Shark for joining me in the last segment as we are back here in the Izuni Tequila Studios for MLB Overtime Betting. Now it is that time of the podcast in which I give you a side and total on every game on the Las Vegas betting board, and we do so in a little something I like to call touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Note that any changes that are made to these plays going to be on my Twitter feed at GNRSquare81 and I will keep you guys abreast as to all the plays I've locked in and all the plays that I'm waiting on as we go along as well. Some of the plays I'm waiting on just looking for a better line in general, waiting on that half run, waiting on a couple cents on that underdog, everything like that. Sometimes I'm waiting to just gather a little bit more intel and in the case of our first game, waiting on a starting pitcher in general, since that game's going to be off the board, and we always go in Las Vegas rotation order, and today is no exception as we start with 9:51, 9:52 on the betting rotation. It is the Philadelphia Phillies, and they are on the road taking on the San Diego Padres. For the Padres, they have yet to decide on a starter, which is why this game is currently off the board. Meanwhile, for the Philadelphia Phillies, it'll be Jake Arrieta towing the rubber, and because the Padres don't have a starter, this game's off the board. Right now, it's looking like Joey Lucchese, and if this is the case, I probably would have to lean towards the Philadelphia Phillies in this spot. Joey Lucchese and Jake Arrieta actually have some pretty similar numbers. You take a look at Jake Arrieta. In 75 innings pitch, he's given up 12 home runs. Joey Lucchese, a little bit of a lower clip, 61. In a third innings, he's given up eight round trippers. And then with Arrieta, he's got 27 walks. So Lucchese's 15, but both guys have 62 strikeouts. The whip of Arietta is a bit higher. 136 to Lucchese's 111, but each of these guys have a 396 ERA, which is very comparable. Then with Philadelphia Phillies, I feel like they've got better bridge bullpen arms rather than the San Diego Padres. But with the Padres, they do have the best 8th and ninth inning guys in Kirby Yates and Craig Stamen, who are able to do a terrific job. And for the Philadelphia Phillies, we now know that Andrew McCutcheon has torn his ACL. He is going to be out for the remainder of the year. Obviously, that's a little bit unfortunate there, but you still do have a lot of guys that are able to supply some power. Bryce Harper is hitting right around 250. He's provided 11 home runs so far this year. Gene Segura is hitting 287. Cesar Hernandez has stepped up for the team with a 284 average. All these numbers going into Tuesday, by the way. Reese Hoskins, 278 average, 13 home runs. Jay Bruce is now a 
big part of the lineup because you lose one outfielder, but you get to add in there Jay Bruce. Well, he ain't do 14, but he's a power bat with 14 home runs. Sean Kingery hitting above 300 as well. And then with Philadelphia Phillies, you do have those guys like Hector Neris, like Pat Neshek that do a decent job out there in the bullpen. And for the San Diego Padres, you don't have a lot of faith in guys like Matt Whistler and company outside there. Two great relievers in the 8th and ninth inning. But you do like what Hunter Renfro is doing. 256 average, 17 home runs, 33 RBI. Eric Hosmer is hitting 289 himself. He's got 9 home runs to go with a little bit over 30 RBI. And then you've got, obviously, a few guys that are able to supply some power. Manny Machado and Will Myers, both these guys have 10 home runs. Machado only hitting 251. He's been a little bit of a disappointment. And then Will Myers hitting a 233. You've still got Famio Reyes as well. He's got 17 dingers. Greg Garcia is hitting a 252. And then from there, you've got a couple of famine bats. Ian Kinsler and Austin Hedges both hitting below the Mendoza line. So for that reason, leaning towards the Philadelphia Phillies here. Total on this game, it's going to have to depend. If I'm looking at something above an 8, I'm certainly going to take it under. At a 7, I'd probably lean, lean towards an over. And if it's a 7.5, it really depends on the juice. But right now, my early leans are the Philadelphia Phillies. And total depends on the number. Check back on my Twitter feed, at GUNNERSquared1, once a line is posted, and I'll have set plays there. 9.53, 9.54 in the bank rotation. The LA Dodgers are in Arizona to face off against the Diamondbacks. Kent Maeda goes for the LA Dodgers for the Arizona Diamondbacks. John Duplantier is going for the Arizona Diamondbacks, and that is why this total is currently at a 10. The 10 has under juice of anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The over is between even and minus 105. If you're looking at the Dodgers, you're laying anywhere between minus 156 and minus 158. Plus price here on the D-backs, anywhere between plus 144 and plus 148. Kenta Maeda has actually been quite spectacular for the LA Dodgers recently. Looked very good in the month of May. 3.61 ERA, 1.11 whip in 62 innings pitch. He's given up nine home runs, which is a tad high, but he's been really doing the job as of late. And then you take a look at Duplantier, and a small sample size, he hasn't been bad. He's started a couple of the games for this team. He's had some long relief appearances. 17 innings, has yet to give up a home run. The seven walks are a tad high, but a 3.18 ERA, 1.24 whip. He's got a 1-0 record. He's been effective whenever he's been out there. Now he will be going up against the LA Dodgers, and we all know about that man, Cody Bellinger. He's hitting 376 to go with 20 home runs at 52 RBI. He has been absolutely sensational. Jock Peterson has 18 home runs of himself. He's hitting 267. Max Muncy, 12 dingers. He's hitting nearly 280. Corey Seager seems to be picking it up with the bat. He had a home run on Monday. He's hitting just below 250. David Fries has his average up to a 295. Alex Verdugo is hitting 315. Kike Hernandez is still struggling, but past that, you really don't have too many weak links with this LA Dodgers team. And with the Arizona Diamondbacks, They've got now four guys that have 11-plus home runs in Christian Walker, Cattell Marte, Eduardo Escobar, and Adam Jones. In the case of Marte, Escobar, and Jones, all these guys are hitting 275 or higher, and Escobar has provided 48 RBI. You've got David Peralta back in the fold as well. He's hitting about 300. You're even getting some nice production out of Nick Ahmad. He's hitting 270. He's got a little bit of pop in the bat. Ide Mauro Vargas, I hope I'm saying that correctly. He's hitting 283 as well. He's been having a nice little bit of a come up. And the catcher spot in general, 
for the Diamondbacks has been decent. We do know this about both these teams. Their bullpens are less than stellar. With guys like Archie Bradley, Andrew Chafin and company, you don't have a whole lot of trustworthy guys out there for the D-backs. You don't necessarily have the gas cans that you do with the L.A. Dodgers. I just cannot have any faith in Yimi Garcia, Caleb Ferguson and company, but I do like what I've seen out of Kenta Maeda recently. He's really only had one bad start in the past month plus, and I do think that he's going to do the job here once again. I'm going to be on the under in this game with the L.A. Dodgers. I'm just in Wayne C mode as to what number I'm going to get because the under is currently quite juice as you heard me run down, but I am going to also be on the Dodgers run line. I do think that they're going to be able to get to Mr. Duplantier, and I do think that they're going to get a couple runs out of the bullpen as well. With the run line price, I'm currently seeing that at even. Would like to be able to get a little bit of a plus price there, so I'm in wait and see mode on both these numbers. We're going to be playing the under and going to be playing the run line of the Dodgers. 9.55, 9.56 on the bagging rotation. The Atlanta Braves are in Pittsburgh to face off against the Buccos. Joe Musgrove goes for the Pirates. Kevin Gosman for the Atlanta Braves. Total in this game is 9.5. The under is minus 115. The over is minus 105. If you're looking at the Braves, you're laying minus 115. And the plus price across the board for the Pittsburgh Pirates, plus 105. Joe Musgrove had a very good first month of the season. And ever since then, he has really fallen back to earth. You take a look at his ERA in the month of April to the month of May. It was just wildly inconsistent and rose by nearly double. Joe Musgrove currently a 3-6 record, 4-5-7 ERA, 65 innings. He's only given up five home runs. I will say he's limited the hard contact, 19 walks, but he's just giving up too much contact in general. Kevin Gosman, meanwhile, he hasn't necessarily been great. 2-4 record, 5-5-6 ERA, and 55 innings. He, too, limiting the hard contact, only five home runs. He has given out 23 walks. That is a little bit high, but I do feel like with Kevin Gosman, he is starting to be able to turn things around a little bit. He's had inconsistent starts, I will say that, because in his last start against Washington Nationals, he lasted one inning, but in his five previous starts before then, he had given up three runs or fewer in every last one of them, including getting six strikeouts in three of the last four. So it is one of those situations where I do feel like that Nationals game was a little bit of a setback, but... I do think that he's going to have a good showing here. And with the Pirates, you do have some bats that are really producing right now. Josh Bell hitting 332 going into Tuesday. 18 home runs, 53 RBI. Kevin Newman has been terrific with the average. He's hitting just below 340 for this team. It's been absolutely insane. Melky Cabrera hitting right in the realm of a 325. Brian Reynolds hitting right around 350. Sterling Martez has averaged up to a 274. Elias Diaz, who had a bad start to the year, now hitting 285. They are dealing with a bit of an injury to Gregory Polanco, so they have been using a couple different pieces. One of the guys that have been staying in the lineup is Adam Frazier. He's hitting right around a 255, and Jose Ozuna is seeing some time with the injuries as well in a very limited sample size. He's got an on-base percentage of a 400. And then with the Atlanta Braves, we all know about some of the guys that are able to do a terrific job for this team, including Nick Barcakis. He is hitting a 276. Hasn't necessarily been providing the power, but Ronald Acuna Jr. has a similar average. He's provided 11 home runs so far this year. Dansby Swanson really coming into his own former number one pick, hitting 265, 12 home runs, 41 RBI. Freddie Freeman got like what he's doing, 14 dingers. Average above 300. Josh Donaldson in right around a 250. And Austin Riley in his three weeks up in the big leagues, hitting over 300 with eight home runs. He's been terrific. Ozzy Albies is still in the fold as well. And then you've got Trey Flowers and Brian McCampbell doing a great job at the catcher spot. 
with the Atlanta Braves. Their bullpen isn't necessarily lights out, but it's not too bad. Josh Tomlin has been a decent arm for the team. Luke Jackson has proven himself to be an okay closer after A.J. Minter was just absolutely awful. And then for the Pittsburgh Pirates, other than Felipe Vasquez and Francisco Liriano, there's absolutely nobody you could trust coming out of the bullpen. Clay Holmes is a guy that you don't want to be putting your chips in. Montana DeRapow in long relief, not a good situation either. And for that reason, I do think that there is a distinct edge here with the Atlanta Braves. I've already locked in the money line price of the Braves and the under in this spot. I do think that Kevin Gosman gets back on track. I do think the Braves are going to be able to win this game. 957-958 on the betting rotation. The San Francisco Giants are in New York to face off against the Mets. Jason Vargas goes for the Mets. Taylor Beatty goes for the San Francisco Giants. Total on this game is 8.5. The under is minus 115. The over is minus 105. If you're taking a look at the Giants, you're going to be getting anywhere between plus 115 and plus 120. Want to lay it here with the Mets. Anywhere between minus 125 and minus 130. And Jason Vargas was absolutely awful last year. Ever since coming off the injured list, has actually been pretty good. He's had quite a few starts where he's only giving up right around one to two runs. He's not a guy that's necessarily going to go deep. I know that he actually did do so against the LA Dodgers. He was able to make it into the seventh inning for this team, which is absolutely huge because that has been a little bit of a bugaboo in that he only goes five innings or something like that. But in that loss that he took to the Dodgers, he gave up one run in seven innings. Ever since coming off the injured list, it's only been two starts, but 12 innings pitch gives up two runs. He's actually been doing the job. 4-4-6 ERA so far this year. Not a big swing and miss guy. He's given up five home runs so far this year, but he seems to be rounding into form. I just have absolutely no faith in Mr. Beatty here. 7.82 ERA. He had a good start against Miami Marlins at his last time out, but he still, in 12 and two-thirds innings, has given up 11 walks. There's just not too many redeeming qualities there, and he's backed up by the lesser bats. The San Francisco Giants going into Tuesday at a 2.22 team batting average. I know that they're starting to find their form, and Brandon Belt now is hitting right around a 2.43 to go with eight home runs, but you just don't have a lot of faith in a lot of these guys. Steven Duger is hitting right around 2.40. Brandon Crawford still hitting in the neighborhood of 215, Kevin Pillar, 220-ish, Stephen Boyd at 250, Evan Longoria, 220, Mikey Stremski is right now the best bat on the team. He's hitting just below a 280. Joe Panic is hitting a 243. You just don't have a lot of power with these guys. And then with the New York Mets, they got Jeff McNeil back in the lineup yesterday. He's been doing terrific for the team. He's hitting above 330. Michael Conforto is hitting 250. He's got 10 home runs. Pete Alonso, 19 home runs himself with his 263 average. J.D. Davis and Todd Frazier are both hitting right around 250. Amid Rosario just above that. Carlos Gomez at 213. So you don't necessarily have great bats here. But what I do like about the New York Mets is the fact that well, they get to go up against Tyler Beatty in this spot, which is why I'm taking the over. Because what we noticed with the Giants is that they have the number seven bullpen out there in the big leagues in regards to Team ERA, but the long guys like Derek Holland and company are absolutely awful. When you get into the guys like Sam Dyson and Will Smith, they're good, but I think that Tyler Beatty is going to be knocked out of this game, and he's going to be knocked out of this game early. I think that being able to get back Jeff McNeil is very big for the Mets, and I do think the Mets should be able to win this game convincingly. Going to be on the Metropolitans and the over. Just in wait and see mode as to what set numbers I'm going to get there. 959, 960 on the betting rotation. The Milwaukee Brewers play host to the Miami Marlins. Sandy Alcantara goes for the Marlins. Meanwhile, Jimmy Nelson goes for the Milwaukee Brewers. Total in this game is 9. Over and under, both at minus 110. If you're looking at the Brewers, you're laying minus 220 to minus 230. Plus price here with the Marlins, anywhere between plus 190 and $2. We talked about it with Ian McMillan in the last segment. 
how can you lay more than $2 with the Milwaukee Brewers with a guy in Jimmy Nelson that back when he was pitching in 2017 was great, but hasn't taken the mound in nearly a full year and a half. I can't do it. Now, Sandy Alcantara is actually not an awful pitcher either. You take a look at him, 2-5 and five record, that's not great, but 408 ERA, 64 innings, he's only got 41 strikeouts, not a swing and miss guy, 31 walks, but he's limited the hard contact, only giving up six home runs. He's not a guy that you're just here like, oh yeah, Sa- Sandy Alcantara, he's up for the Cy Young or anything like that, but you certainly have worse pitchers than that. And with Jimmy Nelson, this is a guy that really had one good year. He had a good year back then in 2017, but that's about it. I don't understand how you can lay 220 here. I am all aboard the Marlins in this spot. I know that the Marlins have had their difficulty scoring runs. They're averaging right around three runs a game, but this could be a good spot for them. You've got Jorge Alfaro, who's been doing a great job for this team, for a Marlins team that, oh, by the way, entered into Tuesday having won 11 out of their last 16 games. Alfaro, 278 average, 9 home runs, 23 RBI. Miguel Rojas has seen his average climb to a 258. Now you've got Martin Prado, who's now hitting in the neighborhood of the 220-ish range. He certainly has not been getting the job done. And you've got JT Riddle coming back into the fold. He's hitting below the Mendoza line, along with Curtis Granderson and Austin Dean. But Garrett Cooper has been adding something to this team. He's hitting 256. He's been giving them a couple home runs. Sterling Castro only hitting a 230 stinks. Brad Anderson is hitting a 241. But how about Harold Ramirez? Ever since he's gotten called up to the big leagues, he's been great. And this isn't a small sample size anymore. This is 12-plus games. He's hitting 373. That's been big for this team. So I do like what I'm seeing there with Miami Marlins. We know that their bullpen stinks. You've got Submergio Romo as the closer for this team. You've got guys like Adam Conley and company coming out of the bullpen. And with the Milwaukee Brewers, you obviously have that man Christian Yelich. 49 RBI, 22 home runs, 313 average going into Tuesday. But then a lot of the other guys are good bats, but they're not great bats. Travis Shaw's coming off the injured list. Kesson Hira went down to Triple A as a result. He's only in a buck 63 so far this year. It'll be interesting to see what he does coming off the injured list. Orlando Arcia is now hitting 264. That's been nice. Eric Thames at 254. Yasmani home has 12 home runs to go with a 277 average. Mike Moussakis, 16 dingers. 268 average there. Ryan Braun has been in and out of the lineup. He's got nine home runs to go with a 270 average, and Lorenzo Kane is hitting right around a 255 to a 260. I just think all of the value here is on the Miami Marlins. I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a lower scoring game because I do think that Sandy Alcantara is actually going to be able to deliver a good start for the Miami Marlins. And I think that Jimmy Nelson is probably going to be eased back into the lineup a little bit. I do think that the Brewers bullpen is going to be on full guard, and I do think we're going to see a lot of those better Brewers arms. But I am on the Marlins and the under in this spot. Just in Wayne Seamode as to what set numbers I'm going to get there. 961, 962 on the batting rotation. The Colorado Rockies head to Wrigley Field to face off against the Cubbies. You Darvish goes for the Cubs. Herman Marquez goes for the Rockies. The total is off the board since this is a Wrigley Field game, but if you're looking at taking the Rockies, you're going to get anywhere between even money and plus 102. Want to lay it here with the Cubs. It's anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. This is a spot where I have to take by far the better pitcher in this spot. And with the Colorado Rockies, I realize that their bullpen has been having some woes. Guys like DJ Johnson, So and company have not been doing the job. But I do think that Herman Marquez going on the mound in this game really does take it out of their hands. And with you, Darvish, you just know that he's going to have a walkathon here. You, Darvish, 502 ERA in 61 innings, 41 walks. That's nearly six walks 
per nine innings. He's also given up 11 home runs with Marquez. 348 ERA, 6-2 record, 114 whip. He's been going deep in his starts. He's averaging over six innings per start, 85 and a third inning so far this year, 83 punch outs, 17 walks, nine home runs. He has been terrific. And with the Colorado Rockies, they've got a team that's really been mashing so far this year. Nolan Arenado, 345 average, 16 home runs, 52 RBI. He has been absolutely sensational. Remiel Tapia at the top of the lineup is hitting right around 277. And then you got Trevor Story, 15 home runs, 293 average. And he adds in their 10 stolen bases as well. David Zell is hitting 250. You've got Ryan McMahon and Daniel Murphy, both hitting in the neighborhood of a 240. Both these guys are having to come up along with Ian Desmond. Desmond got off to an awful start to the year. He's now hitting 244. And then Tony Walters is hitting above 300 as well. And then whenever they need to rely upon Brandon Rogers, he provides a decent average. And then you take a look at the Chicago Cubs. You've still got Kyle Schwarber only hitting a 220. The double-digit amount of home runs is nice, but he's been having his struggles. Jason Award, ever since a hot start of the year, is now hitting a 250. Carlos Gonzalez, you got to figure, is going to add something to this team. He failed out with the Cleveland Indians, but in his first game with the Chicago Cubs, actually looked very good. You've got Victor Carantini and Wilson Contreras, who are both doing terrific at the catcher spot for this team. Carantini, whenever he's in, is hitting above 300. Wilson Contreras, just below 300, and he's been providing 13 or 14 home runs. Bias has 14 home runs, 301 average for Javi Bias. Anthony Rizzo, 284 average, 16 home runs. Chris Bryant, 275 average, 13 dingers, so you like that. And then with the Cubs, you've got some decent bullpen arms. Guys like Brad Brock, Brandon Kinsler, and company have been doing a pretty solid job for this team. But I do think that we're going to see the Rockies be able to win this game. Total's really going to have to depend on the wind. If it's blowing out, I could actually see myself taking it under before seeing taking it under with it blowing in. Just because, you know with you Darvish, whether the wind is blowing out, in, or sideways, he's going to have a whole bunch of walks. So... Right now, the total, it depends on the opening number, but going to be playing the Colorado Rockies here just in wait-and-see mode as to what number I'm going to get there. We move on to 963-964 on the big rotation. The Cincinnati Reds are in St. Louis, face-off against the Cardinals. Dakota Hudson goes for the Cardinals. Anthony D. Scalfani goes for the Reds. Total in this game is 9. The under is minus 115. The over is minus 105. If you're looking at the Reds, you're going to get a plus price here between plus 115 and plus 120. If you want to lay it here with the Cardinals, across the board, that is minus 130. To my surprise, Dakota Hudson has the highest ground ball rate of any pitcher out there in the big leagues. He gets nearly six ground balls to every fly ball that there is. But with that said, with Dakota Hudson, I just don't have a lot of faith in him just because he does certainly have his walks issues. And we noticed with the Cincinnati Reds, they have been playing a whole lot of overs. Their offense really seems to be getting ignited. So for that reason, I am going to be all aboard the Cincinnati Reds in this spot. Anthony Diascalfani certainly has had his struggles for the team. 2-3 and three record, 497 ERA in 54 and a third innings. He's given up 14 home runs and 18 walks, but then you take a look at Dakota Hudson. He's got 27 walks in his 59 and a third innings. Hudson also really lacks swing and miss stuff. He's only got 42 punch outs so far this year, and he's given up nine home runs himself. So he certainly has been lending himself to some hard contact. So I do think that we're going to see some balls leaving the yard. I'm going to be playing this total over as well. You take a look at what Derek Diedrich is doing for the Cincinnati Reds. Sensational. 17 home runs. 269 average, 37 RBI. Eugenio Suarez, 280 average, 14 home runs, 40 RBI. Jose Iglesias is hitting 298 for this team. 
Nick Senzel, ever since getting called up to the big leagues, has really given them a little bit of a presence at the top of the lineup. He's hitting nearly 270. Joey Votto is hitting right around 250. He's obviously not been his same self, but he seems to be picking it up. Yasiel Puig and Kyle Farmer both hitting below 225 are a little bit of an issue, but Kirk Casale at the catcher spot is hitting a 295 whenever he gets reps in. The more regular catcher for this team, Tucker Barnard, hitting just above the Mendoza line has been an issue, along with Jose Peraza. But with that said, you got to like that for the Cincinnati Reds. You've got guys like Amir Garrett, Michael Lorenzen, the company coming out of the bullpen. They've got one of the best bullpens out there in the big leagues. And for the St. Louis Cardinals, we've noticed that Jordan Hicks has really been letting the team down, and Andrew Miller just is not what he once was. And for the St. Louis Cardinals, Matt Carpenter isn't what he once was. He entered into Tuesday with a 223 average, has been really lackluster in that regard. Paul DeYoung hitting 275 along with Paul Goldschmidt. Goldschmidt hitting for 12 home runs as well has been nice. And Marcelo Zunia... And Marcelo Zuna hitting 16 home runs ago with his 250 average has been great. Matt Wieters filling in for Yadier Molina has actually been terrific. 333 average, but we're noticing that some guys are seeing a little bit of a decline as well. Colton Wong now hitting a 237, Harrison Bader 231, and Dexter Fowler a 253. So I think with recent form, it's all about the Reds and the over in this spot. Just some Wayne Seymour as to what numbers I'm going to be getting there, but going to be playing both of those. We move on 965, 966 on the banging rotation. The New York Yankees are north of the border, taking on the Toronto Blue Jays. Trent Thornton goes for the Blue Jays. James Paxson goes for the Yankees. Total in this game is 9. The under is minus 120. The over is even. If you're looking at the Blue Jays, you're going to be getting anywhere between plus 170 and plus 177. Want to lay it here with the Yankees. Anywhere between minus 190 and minus 195. I know that James Paxson threw his no-hitter against the Toronto Blue Jays, but I do think that the Blue Jays do have a very good starter going in Trent Thornton. Thornton got off to a little bit of a rough start to the year, but the team is 5-3 and three in his last eight starts, and he seems to be really rounding into form. He's done a better job of being able to limit the walks, and all in all, he's been doing a better job of being able to limit hard contact. Just a 1-4 record, but 4-5-3 ERA, 59 and two-thirds innings, the 28 walks and 10 home runs are obviously high, but he's got good swing and miss stuff, 65 punch-outs. Now, with James Paxson, he's obviously one of the better starters out there in the big leagues, but... He is still trying to reacclimate himself from coming off the injured list. In his last start, he went only four innings despite not having a very highly elevated pitch count. And in 41 and two-thirds innings so far this year, he's only allowed three home runs. But I do think that we're going to see perhaps a long reliever like a Luis Sessa or something like that for the New York Yankees because he might not be able to go too far. Now with the Yankees, we do know about their great bullpen. Guys like Adam Adovino, Tommy Canely, Zach Britton, Aroldis Chabon and company have all been great. And with the Blue Jays, they've had a good bullpen for much of the year, but it seems to be letting them down a little bit. But I do think that Thornton is going to be able to give them a good start in this one. With the Yankees, you've got a bunch of mashers. Gary Sanchez and Luke Voigt going into Tuesday had a combined 33 home runs. They've really been doing a great job in that regard. You've also got guys that are doing a great job of being able to get on base like DJ LeMahieu. LeMahieu has a average above 300. Gio Urshela hitting nearly 330 himself. Brett Gardner seems to be coming back down after he had a little bit of a hot end to the month of May. He's hitting right around 233, but Cameron Maben still hitting a 270 for this team. Glaber Torres has been terrific in all facets for this team. He's hitting just below 290, and he's got that to go along with his 14 home runs so far this year. You've also got Aaron Hicks, who's only hitting 215. He's not necessarily been his normal self, but got to think at some point he's going to be able to find it. With the Toronto Blue Jays, got to think at some point they're going to come around with the bat. I will say that Vlad Guerrero Jr. has been hitting better recently. He's now got six home runs. 
Batting average just below 250. Eric Sogard is hitting 270. Justin Smoke really seems to be finding it for this team. He's got five home runs in his last 10 days. He's now got 12 dingers to go along with a 240 average for the year. Rowdy Telez has been seeing his average dip to right around a 230. He's only got nine home runs so far this year. Randall Gritchick is hitting a 220 right now. Cave Abigio just above the Mendoza line. Then you got Danny Jansen hitting well below the Mendoza line. Freddie Galvis is hitting a 250. And Lords Goriel, though, has been terrific for this team. He's got three home runs in his last 10 days, and now he's hitting right around 260 as well. But I do think that this is a very good value spot just because James Paxton likely not going to pitch the same amount of innings as he has in the past, and I do like the way that Trent Thornton has been throwing for this team recently, so going to be all aboard the Toronto Blue Jays and the under in this spot, just in waiting see mode as to what set numbers I'm going to get there. We move on to 967, 968 on the betting rotation. You've got the Minnesota Twins in Cleveland to face off against the Indians. Carlos Carrasco goes for the Indians. Martin Perez for the Minnesota Twins. Drawing this game is 9. The under is minus 120. The over is even. If you're looking at the Twins, going to be getting a plus price here. Anywhere between plus 125 and plus 130. One laid here with the Indians. That's anywhere between minus 135 and minus 140. I don't understand anyone that would be looking to lay this price right now with the Cleveland Indians, especially with this pitching matchup. We went through it with Ian McMillan of Odd Shark in the last segment. Carlos Carrasco has not necessarily been his same self so far this year. Martin Perez comes into this game with a 7-2 record. He's been hit around a little bit more recently, especially against the Rays in his last start. But in 16 two-thirds innings, he's only given up five home runs. The 28 walks are a little bit high, but he's been doing a great job. Meanwhile, Carrasco... 498 ERA, and he's allowed 14 home runs in 65 innings. He's been hit like a pinata so far this year. He's allowing over two home runs per every nine innings. The 11 walks is really keeping it down, and 79 punch outs, not too bad there. And we do know that with Cleveland Indians, they do have a very good bullpen. So for that reason, I'm actually going to be looking at this total under. But with the Minnesota Twins, you've got a team that's on pace for nearly 300 home runs so far this year. They just have power all up and down the lineup. It's absolutely insane. And it's all led by Eddie Rosario. He entered into Tuesday with a 277 average, 17 home runs, 49 RBI. And then you've got Jorge Polanco, who's been doing just a terrific job with his average. He's only got eight or nine home runs himself, but he's got an average that is approaching 340. And then with the Minnesota Twins at the top of the lineup, Max Kepler has been doing a great job for this team. He's hitting right around 260. His home run total is currently at 12. You've also got Marwan Gonzalez picking it up with the average. He's now hitting a 250 after getting off to a very rough start. Miguel Sano is back in the lineup as well. He is upping his average. He's now hitting in the neighborhood of a 260. Jonathan Scope hitting 265 to go with his 10 home runs. Byron Buxton hitting 276. And then they get back Nelson Cruz yesterday as well. And we all know what he's able to do. And then Mitch Carver now back at the fold as well. Oh yeah, he was injured until the weekend as well. So, so many bats out there for the Minnesota Twins. Meanwhile, with the Cleveland Indians, you take a look at the lineup they trotted out there on Tuesday. Aside from the top four hitters, everyone from five on down had a batting average of a 220 or worse. Jordan Luplo actually has been decent for this team. He's hitting right around 240, and he's got six home runs, but I believe that five of them are against the Chicago White Sox. It's something absolutely ridiculous. Carlos Santana is hitting 290. He's been able to supply some power with 11 home runs, and then you got Francisco Lindor hitting a 293. He himself has been able to provide eight home runs, and then Orlando Mercado is providing a 273 average, but all in all, the Minnesota Twins bats are just far superior to the 
Cleveland Indians. And I feel like they got the better starter here. And the Twins bullpen has been pretty good themselves. So all about the plus price here with the Minnesota Twins and the under. Just in wait and see mode as to what numbers I'm going to get. Because for some reason, notice a little bit of steam on the Cleveland Indians. 969-970 on the bang rotation. The Detroit Tigers. Playoffs to the Tampa Bay Rays. Charlie Morton goes for the Rays. Spencer Turnbull for the Tigers. Total in this game is 8.5. The over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. Under is anywhere between even and minus 110. If you are taking a look at the Detroit Tigers, going to be getting a plus price here, as you can expect, between plus 160 and plus 162. Want to lay it here with the Rays. It's anywhere between minus 174 and minus 180. Spencer Turnbull is a guy that has really impressed me so far this year. And Charlie Morton, we all know what he's been able to do for the Tampa Bay Rays. He's one of the best swing and miss pitchers out there in the big leagues. But I do feel like Spencer Turnbull is a guy that not many people are betting on just because a lot of people don't recognize the name. And the 3-4 and four record isn't necessarily great with him, but a 284 ERA. He's given up just six home runs in 66 and two-thirds innings. 24 walks are a little bit high, but he's been doing a better job of that recently. And he goes against Charlie Morton, who has a comparable ERA. 254 ERA, 83 strikeouts in 67 and a third innings is obviously terrific. He's only given up four home runs himself, and he has a similar amount of walks with 27. So I do think that that's a little bit interesting with the Detroit Tigers. You've certainly got a team that has been lacking in regards to power. Second fewest home runs out there in the big leagues. They entered into Tuesday with a 228 average. And Miguel Cabrera still stuck on two home runs. Sitting in the realm of 280, though. Nick Castellanos, six home runs, 22 RBI to go with his 260 average. That certainly has been a little bit of an issue. And with the Detroit Tigers, you are noticing that Nico Goodrum is being able to pick things up. He sent his average from essentially a 210 to a 237-ish over the weekend. So that's been a nice sign. Christian Stewart now hitting in the realm of a 240. He was hitting below the Mendoza line for much of the year. But then you still have a couple guys that are really leaving something to be desired. Grayson Griner hitting below the Mendoza line. Josh Harrison has been in and out of the lineup. He's been hitting below the Mendoza line. Dewell Lugo is hitting right around a 220-ish. That's been tough. Roddy Rodriguez after having a good start to the year, is hitting 220. Brandon Dixon sitting right around a 300. That's been terrific for this team, but you're just not getting much out of guys like Amir Candelario and company. And for the Tampa Bay Rays, Austin Meadows has just been a man possessed for this team. He's got a 357 batting average to go, 12 home runs. They're even getting something out of Christian Arroyo, who had two home runs in their series against the Minnesota Twins. The catcher spot for this team has just been letting them down. Whoever they stick in there is hitting right around 200 along with Daniel Robertson, but Guillermo Heredia is hitting in the neighborhood of a 242 along with Kevin Kiermaier. Both those guys have been doing a little bit of a better job with their average. Willie Damas now hitting above 250 as well. And then you've got Avicio Garcia, man, that has 10 home runs and is hitting nearly 300 as well. So you like what you're seeing out of the Tampa Bay Rays with regards to the bats. And the Detroit Tigers bullpen, a little bit sketchy, but I do have my faith in Spencer Turnbull here. I just think that Spencer Turnbull is going to be able to hold the Rays at bay. I think he's going to be able to give a 7-plus ending start, which is why I have already locked in the under on this game. I think that the Tigers are probably going to muster two or three runs in this game. I think it's going to be just enough because Spencer Turnbull delivers a gem for the Tigers in this game. So, going to be on the Tigers plus price and have already locked in the under in this spot. We move on to... 971-972 on the batting rotation. The Baltimore Orioles are in Texas to face off against the Rangers. Mike Miner goes for the Rangers. Jonathan Means for the Baltimore Orioles. Your total on this game is 9.5. The over has juice of anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Under between even and minus 105. If you're looking at the Orioles, plus race here between plus 160 and plus 165. One lay it here with the Rangers. Anywhere between minus 175 and minus 185. 
You've got two of the more underrated pitchers out here in the big leagues. Mike Miner has the best war of any pitcher out there in the major leagues. Meanwhile, Jonathan Means has really had a come up. We heard Dan Zimborski of Fangraphs talk very glowingly about him when he joined the podcast over the weekend. And he's got a 5-4 and four record, Means does, 280 RA. In 54 and two-thirds innings, he's given up just 15 walks and 47 home runs. Not the most terrific swing and miss guy, 45 punch outs, but he's really done his job. Mike Miner, meanwhile, 5-4 and four record and probably should be better because in 75 and two-thirds innings, 80 strikeouts, has given up 8 home runs, 24 walks, 119 whip. Both these guys have been very good. And for the Baltimore Orioles, you've got a team that they're seeing their team batting average dip a little bit, but the power is certainly there. You've got Trey Boom and Mancini. He's the guy that's hitting above 300 for this team. He's provided 12 home runs for them. Renato Nunez is hitting 250. Going into Tuesday, he had 15 home runs and was providing 35 RBI. Dwight Smith Jr., also 35 RBI to go with his 10 home runs and 248 average. Hainzer Alberto is hitting 286, but we've noticed that Jonathan VR hitting more in the realm of 255 now. Chris Davis returned to the lineup yesterday, but is that really much of an upgrade? Keon Broxton and Richie Martin are both hitting below the Mendoza line as well. Pedro Severino, though, has seen a rise in his average to a 275. We do know that the Baltimore Orioles bullpen, not good to say the least, but fortunately for the for them, the Texas Rangers bullpen also bad. So I do think that this is going to come down to the starters. And with the Texas Rangers, a guy that's not in the starting lineup right now, Joey Gallo is on the 10-day injury list. He had 17 home runs and was hitting 275. He had been terrific for this team. You still do have Elvis Andrews, Sinchu Chu, and Danny Santana. All these guys are hitting 290 or greater. You've also got Logan Forsyth who's hitting in that realm as well, but he's been missing the past couple days as well. But then you've got Delinal Shields Jr., Rudnad Odor, Raul Guzman, and Isaiah Kinnear-Felfa. All these guys are hitting 220 or lower. As Dubal Cabrera hitting 234 to go with nine home runs. And you have to like what you've seen out of Hunter Pence. He's hitting nearly 300 with a double-digit amount of home runs. And Noah Mazzara has eight home runs to go with his 271 average as well. But I do think that the value here is with Jonathan Means. He's a very underrated starter, and he's been doing a great job for this team. And I do think that with these two pitchers going, we're going to see a lower-scoring game. So I've already locked in the under, and I'm in wait-and-see mode with the Baltimore because I think that Jonathan Means could be able to pitch a little bit better than Mike Miner in this spot. 973-974 on the bank rotation. The Kansas City Royals playoffs to the Boston Red Sox. Chris Sale goes for the Sox. Jacob Junis for the Royals. Drawing this game is 8.5. The under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The over is between minus 105 and minus 110. If you're looking at the Royals, your plus price here is between plus 190 and $2. One laid here with the Red Sox, anywhere between minus 215 and minus 230. And this is a spot where I certainly do have to take a look at the Kansas City Royals. And it's not because Chris Sale has been pitching bad. He's actually pitched quite well so far this year, but his record is just something that you can't look at and you can't continue to lay these prices with it. 1-7 record, 435 ERA. He's actually given up a lot of hard contact as well. 68 in the third innings. He's given up 11 home runs. Jacob Junis, meanwhile, he's given up 12 home runs in 67 in the third innings, so very comparable there. Junis has an ERA of a 5.35, but he has a 4-5 and five record to go along with it. The 25 walks are a little bit high for Junis, but all in all, he hasn't been too bad. Now, Chris Sale, obviously, many more strikeouts. 98 punchouts in 68 in the third innings, but I actually do think that the Kansas City Royals might be able to get to him in this spot. Hunter Dozier being injured obviously hurts his team. He had 11 home runs, 314 average, but you still have Jorge Soler, who going into Tuesday had 15 home runs, 239 average, and 40 RBI. Adalberto Mondesi is providing a 285 average. He's provided 42 RBI as well. You got to like what, what, what Merrifield is doing as well. Merrifield hitting just below 300. Alex Gordon, 280 average to go with nine home runs as well. And then you're getting something out of 
Chesler Cuthbert, who ever since getting called up to the majors is hitting above 400. Calvin Gutierrez in spot duty has been providing an average right around a 280 as well, which is big because you've got guys like Cam Gallagher, Chris Owings, Martin Maldonado, and Billy Hamilton all in below a 225 at Nicky Lopez that list as well. So you really do like what you're seeing out of Cuthbert. And I do think that that's going to be big because with the Boston Red Sox, they've got some measures of their own. Brock Holt and Jackie Bradley Jr. are both hitting right around the Mendoza line. But then you've got Michael Chavis hitting a 265 with 10 home runs. Christian Vasquez has seen his average rise to nearly a 300. Rafael Devers is hitting 316. Xander Bogart's 12 home runs with a 305 average. JD Martinez, 12 home runs, 294. But then you've got Andrew Benatendi, who's seen his average dip to a 260. And Mookie Betts now has his average right around a 275. He's been a little bit cold recently, but I do think that the Kansas City Royals have some value here, and I do think that they're going to be able to get to Chris Sale. Though I do think that Jacob Junis provides a good start as well. So looking at the Royals and the under in this spot, just some wait and see mode as to what set numbers I'm going to get there. 975-976 on the bag rotation. The LA Angels play host to the Oakland A's. Daniel Megden goes for the A's. Felix Pina goes for the LA Angels. Your total on this game is 9. The over and under are minus 110 across the board. If you're looking at the A's, you're going to get a plus price here between plus 105 and plus 110. Want to lay a tier with the Angels anywhere between minus 117 and minus 120. Now, please note, the Angels have been using an opener for Pena in nearly every start. So you want to check a couple hours before the game that you have the correct pitcher on your betting ticket. I have to throw in there that disclaimer because there'd be nothing worse than you guys having a winning ticket, but it was voided out because they wound up using like Cambodrosian or something like that as an opener. But with that said, I'm going to be all aboard the Oakland A's here because I do like what I've seen out of Daniel Megden in his four starts so far. He's won 20 in the third innings, has not given up a single home run. The 14 walks are bad, but ever since his first start, he seems to be getting better command. 3.05 ERA. Meanwhile, with Pena, he's actually pitched quite well whenever an opener's gone for him. 3-1 record, 3.42 ERA in 50 innings. He's given up 8 home runs, so he's given up a little bit of hard contact, but we know that LA plays a little bit differently during the nighttime than it does during the daytime. So for that reason, I am also taking a look at this total under. I do think that both these teams are going to be able to get some good starts here, and I do like the Oakland A's DFAing Fernando Rodney, because now you can rely more on guys like Lou Trevino, Blake Tryon and company, and you don't have to wonder, will Francisco, oh no, Rodney, be coming out of the bullpen? Meanwhile, with the Angels, their bullpen has just been a wreck recently. It was towards the top five in the big leagues through the first month of the year. Now it's in the bottom half of the big leagues. But with the Angels, you are seeing a little bit of a rise with the bats. Mike Trout has 14 home runs, 298 average, 37 RBI. He is obviously doing a little bit of everything for this team. Daniel Fletcher has been doing a nice job of being able to get on base. He's got a 322 average. Tommy LaStella has been terrific in his own right. 12 home runs, 303 average. Shoei Otani, though, only a 225 still. You got to wonder when slash if it's going to come around for him. Jonathan Lucroy and Cole Calhoun, both hitting at a 243. And Cole Calhoun, 12 home runs to go along with that. Brian Goodwin is hitting 290. Jared Walsh has been giving this team a 280 average in some limited time as well. And then you take a look at the Oakland A's. You're getting a lot of power out of Matt Chapman. He's hitting 272 with 16 home runs. Chris Davis has returned to the lineup. He's been in and out of it the past couple weeks, but he's still got 12 home runs. Stephen Piscotty's hitting a 270. Robbie Grossman, Jerickson, Profar both have been struggling. Both these guys hitting below 225. And Marcus Simeon, seen a bit of a dip in his average at a 253, but you got like the Ramon Loreno is now hitting right in the realm of a 260. And Jeff Feigley has been a nice find for the team as well at the catcher spot. He's hitting nearly 280. He's provided seven Seven home runs in limited at-bats as well. So for that reason, I am going with the Oakland A's and the under in the spot. I'm in wait see mode as to what numbers I'm going to be getting here. And obviously, I'm going to make sure that I have the correct starting pitcher. But 
Going to be going with both of those as we move on to 977-978 on the bank rotation. The Seattle Mariners play host to the Houston Astros. Brad Peacock goes for the Strohs. Mike Leake goes for the Seattle Mariners. Total in this game is 9. The under has juice of anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The over is between minus 105 and minus 110. If you're taking a look at the Astros, laying anywhere between minus 145 and minus 150. Plus price here with the Seattle Mariners. Anywhere between plus 130 and plus 137. Brad Peacock is a guy that I'm willing to trust a little bit more than Ian in this spot. I do like what I've seen out of him so far this year. And believe me, I am not jonesing to get behind Mike Leake at this point. Mike Leake has been very leaky in the way that he's given out home runs. As in 72 and two-thirds innings, he's given out 18 of them. He has a 471 ERA. 51 strikeouts in those 72 and two-thirds innings. Just a guy that I cannot trust. Peacock, meanwhile, 317 ERA, 5-2 record, 59 and two-thirds innings. He's got 61 punch-outs and has only given up five home runs. He's done a great job of being able to limit that hard contact. And with the Houston Astros, even though you are without guys like Jose Altuve, Carlos Correa, and George Springer, you still do have Michael Brantley. Michael Brantley going into Tuesday's action, 329 average, 10 home runs, and we've noticed that the Houston Astros have really built depth in the minor leagues, which has allowed guys like Derek Fisher to be able to come in and produce. He's hitting 250 ever since coming into the lineup. Jake Marizic is hitting 260 himself. He's got six home runs. Tony Kemp has left a whole lot of something to be desired. He's hitting a 217, but Robinson Torino's hitting right around a 250. He's got some pop. Josh Reddick is hitting above 300. Yuri Gurriel hitting a 265 himself, and Alex Bregman is still there with his 17 home runs and 270 average. Meanwhile, the Seattle Mariners, they sold away Jay Bruce over the weekend. You've got Edwin Encarnacion, who has 16 home runs at a 244 average. Domingo Santana has provided 42 RBI to go with his 260 average, but Mitch Haniger now only 225. His 14 home runs are nice, but the average is not there. The average with a lot of guys on this team are not there as well. You've got Shed Long, who is hitting right in the neighborhood of a 245, which has actually been good for them because Dylan Moore is hitting right at the Mendoza line. Yesterday, they gave a start to Braden Bishop. He's only hitting a 0.91. Kyle Seeger is back in the lineup, which is nice, but he's hit a 240 ever since coming back. And Tim Beckham hitting right in that realm as well. Omar Navarez hitting a 280 has been great. But with the Seattle Mariners, we also know that along with Mike Leake, they've got one of the worst bullpens out there in the big leagues. There's absolutely nobody you can trust there. And for the Houston Astros, they've got the best bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues and the only bullpen ERA that is below three. So I really like what I'm seeing out of the Houston Astros here. I am so confident that I am taking a look at the run line. Currently, seeing a run line price of plus 105 across the board. would like to be able to get a little bit more of a plus price, but I'm going to be on that and the over in this spot, just in waiting see mode on the numbers. And we wrap things up with 979-980 on the bank rotation. The Washington Nationals play host to the Chicago White Sox. Dylan Covey goes for the White Sox. Anibal Sanchez for the Washington Nationals. Your total on this game is 10.5. The 10.5 as over juice of anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. Under is between minus 110 and minus 105. If you're looking at the White Sox, plus price here is between plus 162 and plus 155. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the Nationals, anywhere between minus 174 and minus 175. And this is a spot where I once again have to look at the Chicago White Sox. Right now, the Washington Nationals have a team bullpen ERA right around 7. And I just keep saying it on this podcast. The bullpen of the White Sox actually one of the better ones out there in the big leagues. They've got so many guys that you could trust, including a good closer, Alex Colome. Covey has not necessarily been the best of pitchers, 32 and a third innings, 19 walks, and six home runs, but he actually looked very good in his most recent start as he was able to get a win when he went up against the Cleveland Indians. He gave up 
eight hits, but only one run in, I believe it was six innings against them. So that was obviously good. And Anibal Sanchez, he looked a little bit better in his most recent start as well. But this is a man that has a one and six record himself. In 48 and a third innings, he's given up 26 walks and six home runs as well. And then when you have two bad pitchers, you just have to take a look at the bullpens and the White Sox by far have a better one with the Washington Nationals. They seem to be improving with the bats as well. I will give them that. They're getting healthier there. Anthony Rendon is back in the fold. He's hitting above 300. He's got a double-digit amount of home runs. You've got Trey Turner at the top of the lineup hitting a 265. He led the league in stolen bases last year. Adam Eaton is hitting a 265. Juan Soto has been doing a great job of being able to provide RBIs with his 290 average, 10 home runs, 38 RBI. Matt Adams only a 235, though. Brian Dozier seems to be picking it up, but his average is still stuck right around a 225. You've got Jan Gomes hitting a 230, Victor Robles 235. And meanwhile, with the Chicago White Sox, you've got Yoan Mankata doing a great job for this team. 286 average, 11 home runs. Luis Garcia is hitting a 290. Jose Abreu hitting 245, but when you're able to belt out 15 home runs and provide 50 RBI, you know what? That's a little bit more acceptable. Tim Anderson has his average right around a 230. James McCann hitting more in the realm of a 240. Eloy Jimenez only hitting a 227 is a little bit tough, but then you've got Yomer Sanchez, who has seen a massive come up with his average right around a 260, and Charlie Tilson is hitting a 270 as well. So I think that there's a ton of value here with the White Sox. I do think that Covey is going to be able to deliver a good start here, and I do think that Anibal Sanchez is starting to pitch a little bit better himself. So going to be on the White Sox and the under here, just when we see mode as what numbers I'm going to get there. And that will do it for the Wednesday edition of MLB Overtime Betting. A big thanks to Ian McMillan of Odd Shark for joining to me in the second segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you can subscribe on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you ever have a question for the podcast, feel free to tweet it in at unitarsgrady1. And let's make today a successful, profitable, and fun one. I'll talk at you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.